Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Leslie Gist. Um, Okay, this is Leslie Gist. You're listening to Primary Sources, sponsored by uh, the Gist of Freedom and Black History Tours. Uh, Tonight we have a guest on the line. His name is Brian. Brian, are you on the line? I am here. Okay, Brian, could you introduce yourself? Certainly. Um, probably few and far between to have Pennsylvania Dutchman on the program. Um, amateur historian, uh, have a bachelor's from Ursinus College, which is northwest of Philadelphia proper, out in the Burbs, suburbs, I guess we should say, because Burbs is probably a local uh, colloquial term, uh, and um, master's from University of Pennsylvania. Um, fascinated with... William Still, I think there ought to be a statue of the guy in Philadelphia. Do I need to say more? <laughs> oh, we thank you very much for that, uh, Brian. This is Weldon. How are you doing? Hello, Weldon. Yes, very good, very good. How's, how are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. And uh, I thank you for uh, agreeing to do this with us. Ah, a pleasure, a pleasure. You may You may have a problem getting me to stop talking about William Still, though. <laughs> well, I think that that name is very important, and, and his name needs to be brought to light, so I'm sure that any information you have for us today will surely be welcomed. Okay, well, uh, where would you like me to start? Would you like to lead lead me to some questions, or how do we want to do Yeah. That? Well, I guess we could just more, if you can more, let's just uh, give us an introduction to uh, William Steele for those who may not know who he is and why he's important. Okay. Um, pro- probably there are more people outside of Philadelphia than inside who know William Still. Uh, myself, I have a, a buddy who is a lawyer. He grew up in Philadelphia. Uh, he is African-American. And he had heard the name William Still mentioned once during his uh, public school years, and he thought he was white. And this Pennsylvania Dutchman had to disabuse him of that. Um, I've uh, attended once a Still family reunion over in uh, Lawnside, New Jersey, where the the great explosion of Stills, uh, I guess, this began. Um, William himself was uh, the son of, how how do we describe it, escapees, escaped okay, enslaved okay. persons. I have uh, a quick question, sure. uh, uh, Brian, if you don't mind. I, uh, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but did you say no, that, no. He thought he was wh- that you thought he thought he was white? Yes. Any idea why he thought that or why he might have thought that? Well, you know, it's probably from the the era, and I'll be kind of dating myself on that too, where uh, we we both, both he and I come from the era when uh, history books were dead white men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I hate to put it into that kind of terminology, but um, 
I I can remember it was the it was the eighth grade in school uh, before I saw any notice of uh, Marion Anderson being denied uh, the uh, uh, DAR Hall. Uh, and I had already heard recordings of Marion Anderson. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't, didn't didn't every white suburban kid have a record of Marion? Anderson? Well, probably not, but I did. Okay. Uh, and uh, also uh, things like the Tuskegee Airmen. Mm-hmm. 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 And, and, um, and I, so I, I had to say that that during my school years, uh, I I had probably all three of the African-American students uh, as acquaintances who were in the school. So it it was uh, maybe de facto segregation. Uh, It was the 1960s and the early 70s, uh, 1973 when I graduated. So that's enough about me. Well, I I think that that's a good point that you raised in the sense that, you know, and most people, when they think of the abolitionists, most people, you know, uh, are familiar with the white Quakers, the white, don't they? Right, right, right. With the white abolitionists, and I think that's the purpose of this show to also show uh, the important role that William Still uh, played in the abolitionist movement. So I think that's a, a very good point, and, and changing the image of the abolitionists just being white Quakers, I think that that's something that needs to be done as well, and that's why we're thankful for your contribution. So I didn't mean to interrupt, but, yes, if you can continue and and tell us why uh, William Steele is so important. Well, where to start? Um, He he moved to Philadelphia, and I I don't have the exact age. He was born in 1821, I guess I should say first, in Lawnside, um, moved to Philadelphia sometime between the ages of 15 and 20. Okay. And I, I suppose that uh, the uh, Pennsylvania Historical Society, or the HSP, the Historical Society of Pennsylvania, I always get those initials wrong, uh, or I get the name wrong, uh, has the complete papers of William Still. So that somebody who's got a grant and can afford to sit through pages and pages of probably administrative documents uh, from his coal and lumber business uh, might be able to find little gems here and there. But probably most of the papers that are there um, are daily life things. And uh, really the exciting stuff is in his book, The Underground Railroad. Uh, which I guess I should throw in, too, that uh, first published in 1872. Uh, it is still in print uh, from various publishers. I didn't mean to make a pun there by saying still in print, did I? Um, and is, uh, for many African Americans, in fact, the uh, beginning point of uh, genealogical searches. Mm-hmm. Even though many of the, uh, the the case histories that are in his account uh, have first names only, but sometimes um, because it's uh, Moses from Savannah, uh, the, the genealogist can make a connection there, and it's a tenuous one. But because the the institution, the peculiar institution, forms a kind of a barrier towards um, research beyond maybe, 
well, maybe even 1860. Now, we know that that's not the case. Alex Haley, although he wrote it into a novel, but uh, he went much further back, and, of course, he had lots of money to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, so it's it's possible, but uh, th- th- for many the the starting point is William Still's book, The Underground Railroad. And uh, I personally, I think that everybody in southeastern Pennsylvania ought to have a copy on their shelf. Well, if we, it, if, we could, if we sure, could, go ahead. Uh, if we could try to. Uh, just discuss William Still and his personal life. What were some of his personal contributions to uh, Philadelphia or to the abolitionist movement? Oh my! Um, he he began uh, nominally as janitor for the uh, Pennsylvania Abolitionist Society, and uh, apparently janitor was used in a. A more archaic form than than it is today. In other words, he wasn't sweeping the floors. Uh, it right. was it was almost a clerical. Well, it was a clerical job. So he was handling was paper. Uh, he taught himself to read. I should throw in. Uh, in um, well, it said three years. I'm not sure whether that's based upon the first time he wrote something versus when he came to Philadelphia, but it's it's kind of assumed mostly by Philadelphia that he learned to read in Philadelphia. So well in my uh, in my brief research of the uh, uh in the brief research that I was doing of William Still in preparation for this interview, I actually read and that he was actually while, you know, being uh, you know, posing as a janitor, he was actually a lawyer and he had to kinda of act in a covert Manner and sort of uh, you know his his true intentions of helping with the abolitionist movement that he had to kind of act in a covert manner. I, am I correct in that? Hmm. Well, I I haven't seen uh, anything to the effect that he was a lawyer. Now, okay. of course, uh, the 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 bar was in a way more open uh, than it is today because you didn't have to have a university degree. I mean, Abraham Lincoln had no degree, but he passed the bar. Uh, but, of course, he read all of Blackstone on his own. Um, I I haven't seen that. However, okay. it it wouldn't surprise me. Um, now, on, guess, on the other hand, uh-huh. the, the big negative to that is that there was a lot of prejudice in Philadelphia. There was a big right. free black community. Uh, but... Getting to the bar was kind of another story because you had to be the son and grandson of illustrious people. Uh, and um, so in, in one way, you didn't need the university degree, so that would, we would think, make it more open. But on the other hand, it was almost as if um, not passing the bar but taking the bar was hereditary, kind of the okay. way a Harvard degree is today. I think maybe the main point I was trying to get at, and, and, and I guess the, the lawyer question might be, uh, in, uh, the lawyer issue might be in question, but the fact is that while he was a janitor, he was actually doing more prominent work to help with the abolitionist movement, and the janitor, I guess, position was kind of a, a, a cover, you know, kind of something he was officially, but in actuality, he was moving on or helping with the abolitionist movement, I guess. But, well, essentially, he had a desk. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was the bottom line. He had a desk. Today they right. say he had a cubicle, so he wasn't 
pushing a broom around. But right. Anyway. Okay. Now, can you tell uh, us about uh, uh, the street or, or, or where he's from, where where he lived? Yes, and this is this is one of the most intriguing things, and it goes to something that I know uh, just just from brothers in the audience, and I have to say brothers particularly uh, because I'm a Freemason, and one of the things that uh, came up is that uh, the the William still has a Pennsylvania Museum and Historical Commission iron marker. Uh, people from Pennsylvania, of course, know them. They're they're big and kind of shield uh, shaped. Uh, they've got blue background and then yellow letters on them, and essentially it marks you know something happened here. Uh, there's a historical marker at 244 South 12th Street, which mm-hmm. is where, in the 19th century, William Still's house stood. Uh, to put 244 South 12th Street into perspective, it's a little south of Walnut Street. Okay. Um, now, I know you you know Philadelphia and Temple and environs. Uh, Ms. Gist may not, and maybe some of the uh, the listening audience may not also, but um, it is southeastern part of the city. Mm-hmm. And what what's notable about it is that at the same time that Brother Still was there, within two blocks was the uh, the headquarters was called the Grand East of the Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I can't say where. But this will this will I'm sure boost the, the sales of the copy of, of the under copies of the Underground Railroad as soon probably people will be on Amazon even while we're talking. Um, <laughs> there are at least two instances in his book, The Underground Railroad, where he uses specific Masonic language. I can't say where it is, but mm-hmm. happy reading. Uh unless everybody in the nineteenth century talked that way, which is also possible but unlikely. So the big suspicion there is that William Still was a Mason. Oh, okay. Uh, and just just diverting slightly and, and, you know, like grab me by the throat and drag me back. Um, there was a, a special some years ago called the Underground Railroad uh, that was on the History Channel, one of the, one of the cable... Uh, stations with um, good programming uh, that was hosted by Alfred Woodard. And the program ran an hour. 20 minutes of it was devoted to William Still, first off. So I already knew who this gentleman was, and I, I sat riveted for the entire hour. But in the beginning of the, sh- of the show, she makes a very unusual comment. She says, uh, the Underground Railroad was mostly men, well, women couldn't travel that much by themselves, so you know it was a big negative to uh, equal participation. Uh, but mostly men, uh, various religions, uh, various ethnicities, but who used secret signs, secret passwords, and secret handshakes to spirit now, people out of slavery. Is this the uh, the DVD of the, that that will be airing on, on PBS, The Underground Railroad? No, 
No, okay. that's that's a kind of an interesting thing because that is a new program, and hopefully okay. Ms. Gist will be uh, talking it up because I already have my order in. Um, okay, well, we'll, we'll and we'll come back to that. I just want to ask, uh, going back to uh, William Steele's uh, yeah. uh, neighborhood, wasn't that also a neighborhood where there were uh, other prominent African Americans on that block or in that area? I can't name anybody, but I know it was considered a property-owning African-American neighborhood. Oh, okay. Uh, There were uh, businesses there. As I said, the the big fraternal order had its headquarters there. Um, And uh, I believe that the the Elks or the Odd Fellows, uh, another one which had a a, 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 like a segregated part. In other words, the African Americans had to set up their own, which is kind of interesting for a universal brotherhood. But I didn't see that. Now, did say that? No. <laughs> wasn't wasn't uh, William Steele also a uh, an entrepreneur himself? Then he also established a business. And, oh yes, uh, he if he he would have probably been akin to Donald Trump today. Hate to hate to use that term. It was only in his business acumen, but uh, in his time, he uh, was a, a major merchant in coal, iron, and lumber, which were okay. two two things were were things that were used in the building trades. Uh, so any building project, he'd have had a a finger in uh, coal. Virtually everybody used to keep warm and to cook. Uh, and uh, he, during the Civil War, also was the what's called the sutler, or the um, the the victual supplier for Camp William Penn, which Camp William Penn is where Willow Grove Mall is now. Okay. It was a major. Uh, Civil War training camp for African American troops. Mm-hmm. So Pennsylvania colored units, and I hate to use that terminology, but uh, in fact, there's a there's a little uh, church. See, you're going to get me off the topic again. Uh, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <down> uh-huh. <laughs> it doesn't take much. Uh, down in uh, Delaware County. Uh, that is uh, an AME, uh, African Methodist Episcopal Church. Uh, it is um, Sunbury. Well, it's on the same road as Lincoln University. So that okay. may, that that that'll bring it up in somebody's head, I'm sure. Uh, now, can we, and can I'm sorry, yeah, Brian. I just want to Williams Hill, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I just wanted to get back because we have a, a few more minutes left, and I just want us to uh, talk about the actual role that uh, William Steele played within the Underground Railroad movement. Did he, you know, his help uh, in, in the rescue missions? I believe that he is credited with up to uh, over 600 uh, rescues. Am I correct? Yes, but the folklore in Philadelphia. And you can't find documentary evidence because all this stuff was secret missions, right? There is no evidence of it. The folklore in Philadelphia is that he is the man who sent Harriet Tubman on her mission south. Um, he, um, He recorded everything, so people who came through, he got their stories, wrote them down, 
Um, he is, uh, again, folklorically credited with the famous or infamous meeting uh, at the back of one of the uh, oh, auditoria with a, a, a speech by an abolitionist, which, of course, is being is, is preaching to the, the converted, he's preaching to the choir. And um, the story is that uh, William Still and a handful of men, the story changes uh, ten, a half a dozen, I've seen up to a dozen and a half in different versions. But anyway, we're standing together at the back of the hall. The speaker was at the front and was haranguing the already converted about the evils of slavery. And the story goes that these men looked at each other and said, you know, we're preaching to the converted. We're, we're, we're not accomplishing anything this way. And uh, then they spoke, and the genesis of it was the first of the vigilance committees. Uh, the vigilance committees maintained agents at the docks and in the railroad stations because Pennsylvania was free territory. And because it was also a major port, slaveholders sometimes came through on their way to England, on their way to points further north, uh, with their, quote, possessions, unquote. And it was the object of these agents to separate the slaveholder from his people and get the people to a safe house where it was then free territory. Now, after 1851, this was a little bit of a problem because the Fugitive Slave Act passed federally mandated that uh, enslaved persons who had escaped must be returned to their possessors, even in free territory. Uh, the the story is that uh, Brother William made at least one trip to Canada, and it was to scout out routes and places for people to effectively get off the Underground Railroad. It wasn't really a railroad, but so we're using the term get off very loosely. Um, and so he he had things plotted out. Uh, quite in, in in significant depth, so it wasn't just well, get away from the plantation and here's eight dollars. It was no, you will go to this station master, you will go to this house where there's uh, a, a sign out front, uh, a sign in the back uh, that designates that it's okay for you to be there. Um, his business acumen at one time or another had him successfully desegregate the railroad cars in Pennsylvania. Okay, Brian, this is Leslie again. Um, yes. Uh, Mr. Uh, Professor Weldon's phone was disconnected, but he's back online. I just want you to get back to the point uh, quickly about James Johnson. You alluded to um, how the uh, Underground Railroad um, conductors like still helped people who were traveling with their masters yes. in the north. 
Could you talk a little bit about Jane Johnson? Hmm, gee, I'm afraid I I don't know that much about her. Uh, okay, well, Jane, I, I just said, Jane was coming through Philadelphia with a, um, a Commodore, someone of high esteem from the South. And, uh, oh, this is one of his cases. Yes, okay. it's in the book. <clears throat> and many people wrote books about her story. And um, the uh, porters on the train recognized her as a, um enslaved woman with two children, two sons. And they told her that when you're coming through Philly, you're Get not, off the train. Right. It's time for you to leave. And they helped her escape, and this caused a big, big case um, national um, press and um, different, the South and the North were fighting politically about how these um, people stole this man's property. Mm-hmm. And it went to the governor and it went to all the uh, politicians, and people were jailed. William Steele was jailed. A white abolitionist was jailed, Passamore. And um, it was a big case. And it was things, it was these types of stories that really started the Civil War. It was the, this was the beginning of the Civil War because, as you mentioned, 1850, what had happened was this um, slave law came into place and it violated the North's rules and laws mm-hmm. by telling good white standing citizens that they were subjected to these Southern laws if they uh, aided or abated um, a fugitive. Escapees, uh, yes. Escapee or someone who was just accused of being escapee. Mm-hmm. So, um, and they were paid double to to um, so-called return an escapee than to uh, aid someone. So um, that was just one of the stories. But I'm going to let the professor get back on the line and finish this conversation. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Can, can you, can you, everybody hear me? I'm up. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Sorry about that disconnection. I wanted you, if you could, if you could briefly also discuss the relationship between William Steele and, and John Brown and the raid on Harper's Ferry. Hmm. Um, the the documents are few and far between. Uh, okay. We know that still supported the spirit of John Brown. Uh, the the record is a little more nebulous whether he uh, actually supported the idea of inciting inciting a revolt in the South, uh, which of course the the Harper's Ferry uh, raid was. Designed to, to to set an example, to set a spark to the the tinderbox. Uh, Brown was virtually sure that he would be arrested, mm-hmm. um, but he had he had experience out in Kansas, which was uh, having a mini civil war uh, between pro-slavery and anti-slavery factions, uh, where there were there were battles, uh, uh, nothing beyond maybe company sized engagements. But when you're talking 150 men, that's that that's time for some of them to to get off of the line and uh, go have some coffee or something like that, or get get ammunition and come back. So mm-hmm. it's it's not the kind of 
flying and and a couple of shots as you go past and kind of a drive-by shooting with horses, if I can use so bad a simile there. Um, well, I know that, and, and again, in my research of trying to find uh, or trying to gather information about uh, William Steele, they, they, they said that he was uh, helped finance the Harper's Raid, being part of the Secret Six, um, uh, what they called the Secret Six that uh, might have helped uh, John Brown in, in uh, accomplishing this raid or, or beginning or starting the Harper's Raid. But what I found particularly interesting was uh, after John Brown was captured and hung, uh, they said that uh, William still kind of took in John Brown's family and kind of watched yes. out or watched over for them for a while. He he had uh, John Brown's wife uh, mm-hmm. stay with him, uh, okay. and with with no no, uh, no no cynical remarks about you know they sleep in separate rooms or anything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. It had all the appearance of what would be uh, fraternal aid to a deceased brother's wife. And again, this brings mm-hmm. up the, the evil face of masonry again, where uh, John Brown was a mason. Mm-hmm. But he actually resigned his membership in the lodge in Batavia because of their, um, oh, and what's the fun word that he used, their complacency. And we have no doubt that the complacency to which it's referring was their shrug about slavery. Because there were no slaves around them. So it was only an academic matter for them. Uh, He left Batavia and headed for uh, Kansas, where he formed a militia and fought the slave uh, slaveholder. Now, can you tell us uh, a little bit about... uh, uh William still where he's resting, where he's he's buried at today, and how are we, or how are you in this movement to revive the dialogue about uh, perhaps uh, establishing or erecting a statue uh, in behalf of William Still? So if we can oh, first talk I'm, about his his burial place and then the uh, statue. Okay, uh, his burial place is one of the the largest and most historic uh, African American cemeteries. Uh, just think of that. You're even segregated after you die. Uh, in in Pennsylvania, and it is in Delaware County. Um, it's it's claimed by Darby, but it's actually closer to Collingdale. Uh, okay. I believe that the the postal address is Collingdale. Uh, very big. It has suffered in the last couple of years or so from uh, vandalism of the the gravestones. Uh, and I'm not certain that that's just bad behavior kids who have nothing better to do. But um, he, his wife, and his daughter are buried together. He passed away in 1902. He was 81 years old at the time, uh, and he had already been to Reading to found a Masonic Lodge. Goodness gracious, there we are again. Um, I now went out on the 100th. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brian. I'm sorry, Brian. Oh. I know where I'm interrupting. I'm just excited to hear about him as well. I was asking, is Eden Cemetery the place where he buried all his records that included his book? Is this correct? Hmm. Have you heard that? Um, you know, I, I've I've heard the folklore sep- uh, circulate, and okay. I'm afraid that I have to say that I kind of view it like Rosalind Chapel. Uh, 
it's it's one of those tales that that is kind of established because of the absence of evidence. Okay. Um, I I suspect that there are probably more of his records at the Historical Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that his obituary got into the New York Times in 1902, uh, okay. which is something in itself. I know my right. obituary won't get into the New York Times. Uh, <laughs> but just, okay. just to, to kind of uh, circle things around before he died he was responsible for the uh, the, the first YMCA which he funded out of his pocket uh, mm-hmm. and is still going at Christian Street uh, in South Philadelphia actually Southwest yes. Philadelphia about 16th right. and, and Christian Street uh, the Berean Savings and Loan was only recently went under during the bank and f- banking fiasco, but had survived for more than a hundred years as a lending institution for African Americans. Uh, the Berean Institute for the Education right. of African American right. Young, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, 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 as you're a Temple alumnus, I also have to call your attention. It's a it's a very tenuous connection, but. His son-in-law was the first pastor at the Presbyterian Church at Broad and Diamond Streets. Okay. Okay. The octagonal. Uh, uh, who is it? Uh, I believe the man's the the architect's name was Childers. But at any rate, uh, so he was actually buried out of that church. Right. Well, it uh, sounds like that William still contributed a lot. And his contributions are still uh, in effect today. So, how can we help with the uh, the move or the dialogue or or your efforts to kind of erect, erect the statue of, of William Still and make sure he's getting the proper recognition that he so richly deserves? Well, now this is this is a this is a very tenuous thing uh, because there is the uh, Underground Railroad Family Foundation which is composed of the Ohio Still descendants. Now, William Still had no male uh, descendants. Uh, he had a daughter. She married the the first pastor of uh, the Presbyterian Church at Broad and Diamond. Uh, but so essentially his line stopped. Um, his brother Peter, though, was quite a, a, a pharmacist and herbalist, and he had lots of kids. Uh, so there's a, a big selection of them in, in Lawnside, and then part of those broke off and spread to the, the northwest into Ohio. Um, unfortunately, my my effort to, to raise a, a statue uh, is now largely a petition on Facebook where you, you okay. go and you like it, and it's literally a uh, petition for a statue of William Still on Penn's Landing. And it has a picture oh. of William Still, if you didn't know what he looked like. I know you know what he looks like, but... Yes, sir. Um, and uh, so, I I have a, a kind of illusion that one of these days, in one of the Masonic temples, I will run into his honor, the current mayor, whom I count as a brother, also. Uh, wouldn't that make a funny picture? Uh, but at any rate, uh, the, the 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 missing link there is that 
the, the two Grand Lodges in Philadelphia can both fund this thing. And we know that as, as well as the city budgets being tight, uh, their Arts and Museum Commission still needs things to do. And one okay. of the biggest things I can think of is to inspire school kids. Mm-hmm. That, no, this guy is one of ours. Uh, he was like a 19th century Benjamin Franklin with none of the moral faults that Benjamin Franklin exhibited occasionally. Um, so at this oops. point, uh, uh, Brian, at, at this point what we can do is we could – Go to the Facebook page, which is statue of William uh, William Still Petition on Penn's Landing. For, to erect a statue of William Still at Penn's Landing. If you uh, search okay, for William you... Still, I'm sure it'll be one of the pages that comes up. Okay, and uh, I know we're, we're 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 getting ready to wrap up our time. So again, I just wanted to thank you for coming on and enlightening the audience about this great man, William Still, who. Uh, is under you know underrepresented. We go past him in the history books, and I thank you for bringing light to him. I just want to remind all the listeners about the PBS DVD or the PBS airing of the Underground Railroad, the William Still story, which is scheduled to air February sixth. Correct. Six. All yes. right. So again, Brian, I thank you very much for your time. I thank you for coming on and enlightening us uh, about William Still. Listeners, I hope you all got something out of this message. Please go on to Facebook to petition to erect a statue for William Still at Penn's Landing. Again, Brian, thank you very much. Listeners, I thank you. Please join us next time. Until then, God bless. God bless. Let me just say I think William Still is my hero, period. Thank you. Thank you very <laughs> much, Mr. Peasley. Thank you. Have my a great pleasure. day. All right. Happy holidays thank to you. you.